Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. So we're continuing our series in the book of Psalms. And today, I get to do one that is uh, 118 words. Probably the most memorized chapter, not verses, probably one of the most memorized chapters in the entire Bible. And so today, I get to do Psalm 23. Come on, everybody say it. Psalm So we're going to jump right into this, but I'm going to go a little different direction today. What would happen if we were to take this psalm, and let's take a different approach. What if we were to look at David's life, and how does that align with my life? And what would happen if I could take the 23rd psalm and declare it over what would happen to me? Right now, some of you have gone through life and have had some things happen that were not in your five-year, ten-year plan. You've had some things that have come to light. You've had some things that were traumatic. You've had some things that you didn't expect. David did too. For example, have you ever felt passed over? Like, in David's case, it was his own father that He invites all the boys in, they're going to anoint a king, and he leaves David out. Have you ever lost a child at birth? David did. Have you ever felt like you didn't just, you didn't come from the right family, the right heritage, you just, it was off? Have you ever been involved in a sin that you're not proud of? Have you ever had someone close to you turn on you? If so, you're in pretty good company with David. What if Psalm 23 is more about a God who restores broken things? Let's look at David. And I think sometimes what we've done, we've done an injustice to Psalm 23 because what we've done is relegated it to uh, funerals, memorial services. Or we've had this that is basically a Huck Finn moment and David is lying on green grass. He's got his legs up in the air. And he's got a, you know, a green uh, piece of grass hanging out of his mouth. And there's a couple sheep lying there. That's not the way Psalm 23 was written. In fact, the 23rd Psalm was more than likely written toward the end of David's life. And some scholars believe that when it was written, David was in one of the darkest times of his life when his own son was rebelling against him and trying to steal the kingdom from him. He deals with death, he deals with rejection, he deals with facing danger, and then he wraps it up by saying, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalm is kind of an interesting psalm, the way it's broken down, and I hope you kind of see it from a little bit different perspective. The first part of the psalm is uh, David talking about God, and then in the end he starts talking to God. He was, from his youth, he was a military hero. You know the story of he and Goliath. He was a celebrated son, son-in-law of the king. He had various roles throughout his life. At one time in David's life, he was an outlaw. He was a mercenary. He was a musician. He was a shepherd. He was the founder of the city of Jerusalem. In fact, David is quoted by Jesus on the cross 
Jesus quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? David's quite a guy in scripture. But in many aspects, he was a failure by public opinion. When you did the things that he did, they were so scandalous. They were an embarrassment to his people, and David was an embarrassment to his God, the things that he did. But for some reason, David is the bounce-back kid. He always bounces back. In the New Testament, we find that it's said that David was a man after God's own heart. He just bounced back and would go after the heart of God. In some ways, David felt like an anomaly because when Samuel came to town to anoint the next king of Israel and Jesse's told to bring all of his boys, David was the one not invited. And Samuel says, wait a minute, these aren't is this all your boys? He said, no, I got one more, but he's out in the field. How would you like to live with that the rest of your life that your dad passed over you when there was a king to be anointed from your family? David is the great-great-grandson of a Gentile prostitute, Rahab. How would you like that in your lineage? Yeah, my great-great-grandmother, she was a prostitute. He engaged in murder for hire for the husband of a man that he had an adulterous affair with, she got pregnant, they have a baby, the baby dies. Absalom is the son that, when this was written, more than likely is trying to take the kingdom from David. His own son turns on it. David's own men at time hated him so bad that in 1 Samuel 30 and 6 it says, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God, the bounce-back kid. So let's jump into Psalm 23. Let's look at the first words, the Lord is my shepherd. Yahweh is. The Lord is. Not, I think there's a good chance, I think there's a 50-50 opportunity here, or I'm kind of leaning toward this. No, David starts off dark moment in his life is says, the Lord is my shepherd. David doesn't struggle with generalities or God's credentials. He just says, this is one thing I know, the Lord is my shepherd. Philip Keller, who wrote the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, he himself was a shepherd for eight years. Great book to read. He said, one of the calamities of Christianity is our tendency to talk in ambiguous generalities. David, himself a shepherd and the son of a shepherd, later to be known as the shepherd king of Israel, state, stated explicitly, the Lord is my shepherd. He knew what it was. He knew what a shepherd did. He knew that that was a watchman guardian. And he's saying, the Lord, Yahweh, is mine. I will be to you, David, the shepherd that you need in your life. The shepherd metaphor is deep in Scripture. In fact, in this message, you'll see it. In John chapter 10, Jesus actually uses almost the entire chapter with this metaphor. Watch this in verse 6 of John chapter 10. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. Remember that. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. We're going to come back to that later. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find pastures. The thief's purpose, the thief's purpose 
is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In verse 11, Jesus goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. He goes on in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. He declares it again. I, am, I know my own sheep and they know me. But the connotation of him being the good shepherd implies that David and we are sheep. Now, sheep are not the smartest and most powerful of animals. I have never heard of a Nobel Prize winning sheep. They're not real smart. We used to live in Chandler and there was about 50 acres near our house and the shepherds would bring them down in the wintertime. And I'm telling you what, if, if he didn't come and move them continually in the field, they would sit there and eat all the way to the dirt. And then I think they started eating dirt. I mean, it, sheep are not real smart. No implication there, just saying, if the shoe fits, you might want to wear it. Sheep depend on someone to lead, to guide, to feed. They need direction. They are directionless. They don't know how to find the proper food. They don't know how to find the proper places to sleep, and I'll allude to that in a moment. And they can't find water hardly on their own because they're spooked so easy. The shepherd does all of that, and the sheep become the benefactors. Isaiah went on to, see, to talk about us, sheep. He said, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So David starts out, the Lord, I'm 100% sure, is my shepherd. I shall not want. Want does not equal wealth. If you're not careful, you'll try to take this verse and twist it and say, well, I can declare as David did, I don't have to want. So here's my list, God, and we turn God into uh, the black, American Express black card in the, in the heavens that just, cha-ching, I want this, God, I want that. No, he didn't say that. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What he's saying is, I am completely satisfied with the care, the management, and the protection of my shepherd. Paul said it this way in the New Testament. He said, and this same God who takes care of me. Notice, takes care of me. Will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Don't mistake this psalm for some way of prosperity that just kind of, I'm going to ask God to be my shepherd. Then I just kind of get this open carte blanche. I can have what I want. Here's why. A life devoid of limits easily becomes a life devoid of maturity. If I get everything I want, when I want, as I want, I will lend to selfishness and an overinflated ego. You say, well, wait a minute. You just said that I could declare I shall not want. I don't know about you, but in my life, there's been times that sometimes God has says yes but not now. Why? Because he is my shepherd and I shall not want. I trust him. What does the heart of a compassionate shepherd look like? Jesus alludes to it in Luke 11. He says this in verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. 
So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As a faulty parent of three children and six grandkids, I haven't always done things right, but I always wanted my kids taken care of. And I know that my shepherd, my father, knows what I need, when I need it, and the right way to give it to me. Let's jump to verse 2. It shifts now. He's making a proclamation. And now we get into a series of what we call the he-me statements. He, God, will do something for me, the sheep. Watch this in verse 2. He, God, maketh me sheep to lie down in green pastures. He, God, leadeth me beside the still waters. You say, well, what's so important about that? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. David uses this eloquent language to express his view of an abundant shepherd that knows how to take care of him. Since the green pastures of Israel are much like Arizona, they are few and far between where you can find enough grass for sheep to eat. And so a good shepherd would be able to go and once finding the pasture, he would then lead the sheep to the place to where they could go. Now, notice this at Isaiah 40, 11. This, again, this shepherd metaphor. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Now, I didn't understand this. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. There are four things that need to be in play for sheep to lie down. Again, as I said, sheep are very easily spooked. They, they don't do well without a shepherd. And even with a shepherd, they rely upon him. Four things. They have to be free of fear. They're skittish animals, and any disturbance or intrusion scares them. They have to be free of friction. There, there can't be other sheep and them not getting along. Their surroundings have got to be safe. They've got to feel protected. They have to be free from friction. They have to be free from flies. You say, what do you mean flies? Sheep, because of the way they eat everything, they, they, when they go into the grass, they will put their nose deep into it. And what they do, they stir up all the flies. And one of the bad sides of a sheep is that they will eat everything. They will take in everything. And the flies will begin to lay parasites inside their nose, inside their ears, inside their mouth. And what happens is once the parasites set into the sheep, they cannot lay down. They're so agitated. You have to be free from famine. A sheep will not lay down if they're hungry. Each of these requirements are necessary and contingent on the shepherd to do his best to provide this for his sheep. And David makes a statement. He, God, maketh me a sheep to lie down. So I have a question for you. How well are you sleeping right now? How well are you resting? What's going on in your life right now? Just as sheep require the freedom of these four things, when these things come into play in our lives, fear, friction, flies, you say, what, what do I mean by flies? Bothersome challenges, 
that have you distracted? Famine? Lacking and feeling overwhelmed? I don't know about you, but driving by a gas pump, I can feel a little bit of that, are you kidding me? We went to get butter the other day, and my wife, um, she said, we're out of butter. And all of a sudden, we went, and I said, oh, my goodness, is that how much butter is? And she said, oh, yeah, it's gone through the ceiling. I said, butter? I mean, are, like, are cows like on strike right now, or what's going on? She took it home, and she put it in the refrigerator. And later on, I said, hey, babe, the, the butter's in the refrigerator. Do you think we should put it in the safe? I said, because what you just paid for butter, we might not have locked that up. They're going to come looking for it. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I don't have to fear famine. Listen, I can't tell you what the real estate market nor the stock market is going to do, but I'm going to tell you something. I have a shepherd that he makes me lie down in green pastures. Ezekiel 34 says this, I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, so I will rescue my flock, and they will no longer be abused. Jesus said in the New Testament in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't worry about these, these things, saying, what will we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where will we get gas? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. That same chapter, Jesus said, don't be like them. For your father knows exactly what you need before you ask him. Our shepherd is so intricately concerned about every part of our life that he says, you can declare me to be shepherd and you can declare that I am going to make you lie down in green pastures because you don't have all those fears that you have to deal with. Let me be the shepherd. Then he says another he me, he leadeth me beside the still waters. I think it's interesting, the terminology, he leads me. You can't drive sheep. They have to be led. In fact, Psalm 119 alludes, I have wandered away like a lost sheep. Come and find me, for I have not forgotten your commands. I've not forgot your voice. Sheep are afraid of flat, of fast-flowing streams. And what the shepherd would do sometimes, he would take a small stream and he would take rocks and dam it up and allow the stream to stop for a moment so that it would begin to form a small pool. Sheep need to see their reflection in the water to feel safe to drink. David said, he leadeth me beside still waters. A sheep's body composition is 70% water. They thrive in dry and arid areas, much like Arizona. They thrive in this, but they have to have water. And David says, I don't care how arid, I don't care how much of a desert my life may be, no matter what's going on around me, he's going to lead me beside still waters. Verse 3, he restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. If there was ever a man that needed restoring, ever a man that needed restoring, rejection, family trauma, adultery, cover up, murder for hire, it's David. He restores my soul. 
Jesus relays this same intention in Luke 15. In verse 4, he says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99, the open country, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I've restored that sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. What needs to be restored in you today? He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. None of us get very far in life without being wounded. Some wounds are superficial scratches that we get over quickly. Some wounds are deep gashes that rip into the soul. Some are inflicted by people that we thought really loved us. And sometimes those that love us the most hurt us the deepest, and it stings the worst. Could it be that that childhood trauma of the way his brothers treated him? Could it be the way that his dad didn't include him when Samuel came to the house? Could it be the trauma in his family that they faced throughout his young days? Because many times childhood trauma, if left unresolved, turns to adult challenges. I brought my Bible today. I bought this Bible when I was 16. It's a Thompson Chain reference Bible. At the time, it was the most expensive leather. It had the gold edges and has the India paper. 16 years old, I paid around $100 for this Bible. And I'm 64 today. For almost 48 years, this Bible has been by me. I was raised in church. I'm a PK. I'm a preacher's kid. When I was 16, 17, I made up my mind, I do not want to be a pastor. I do not want to be a preacher. That's the last thing on my list. I wanted to be a surgeon. By my senior year, I had a path. University of South Florida, do my undergrad there, and then go straight into med school. I'm not doing this. I don't want to do what my dad did. And there was something, though, at 16 that I may not have understood some of the challenges. Now, remember, 48 years this book has been with me. At 16, I was not in ministry, but I knew one thing. I may not understand why my dad does like he does. I may not understand why he sacrifices the way he sacrifices. I may not know why he pulled his retirement out to build a church. I, I don't understand all of that, and I may not even like the church. But I do know a God in his word that's real. And I can take you to pages in here that you can almost not even see the print on the page because I buried myself in there and began to dig into this. There are pages in the book of Ephesians that there are tear marks all over the page because God had to restore my soul. He restoreth my soul. 
In the original Hebrew, the word is nasham. And it's not used in a nice way. It's usually used in a very progressive, a very aggressive way. Verse 4, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Notice how he flips it now. He went from he, me, talking about God, that now he's talking to God. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, whatever you're going through right now, this is not the end of the journey. It's the journey through. Yea, though I walk through. You're not finished yet. What you're going through is not the final destination for your life. Sitting here this morning, we have some dear friends of ours that are facing something in the next 30 days that they never asked for. They never knew this would be a part of their destiny, but they're going to walk through the valley, and he is going to be there with them. I don't know what it may be that you're facing right now, but when you get to the position that you can declare, I will walk through, it's a place of trust that says, I do not understand this challenge that I'm going through, but you are my shepherd, and you will lead me through this. Could it be that the valley experience that you're going through right now may be the place that the richest flowing of intimacy with God will ever be produced? Could it be that God's love flows deepest through the darkest going downhill? As long as he is with you, you do not have to fear. Everything in life will not turn out like you think it will. Because sheep on their own, and I've done that before, I've been on my own, I've tried to do it my way, and I've realized all of us need the intervention of a loving shepherd. He leads me. He's not behind me with a whip yelling. He leads me. He's ahead of me, guiding me. And he said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And it's interesting. Remember I said earlier in John 10, he said, I am the gate and no man, no sheep can go in or out. The idea would be that many times a shepherd, when he would take his sheep at night, he would find like a rocky crag area and he would find a small opening and he would there be at the opening, and the sheep would go in there protected, and he would be the one at that very gate there. Thy rod and thy staff. Now, here's the beautiful part of this. The rod, each time a sheep would go through, he would basically touch the sheep. It was comfort to the sheep to know he's here. It was a count to the shepherd that I have them all here as he counted them. So each time a sheep would go in, he said, I am that gate. You're going to go in and go out. You've got to go through me. Every time he would, he'd just touch it with the rod. And the sheep of the shepherds here. One, two, three. The rod was also used for course correction. It was used for alignment. As I said, sheep are not real smart. So many times the rod was used to get them back into alignment. And he says, they comfort me. It's that word again, that they will pursue me. The rod will come after me and help direct me back in. Verse 5, 
Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. If I will allow the rod and the staff to be with me and to comfort me, here's the setup. He'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. The shift takes place from shepherd to host. God goes from shepherd to saying, if you'll let me lead you, let me protect you, let me feed you, I'll become the host. And could it be that the very challenges that you're facing now are a setup for a table to be created, hosted by God himself in the very presence of your enemies. Your life now may be nothing more than God setting you up to say, stick with me. Let me guide you. Let me lead you. And you can sit and I will host a table in the presence of your enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Ancient shepherds took a blend of olive oil, sulfur, and spices, and they would blend it together. Remember I said that one of the challenges of sheep are parasites and flies. Flies would drop off the eggs, and parasites would come into the nose and the ears and the mouth of the sheep. When the shepherds saw that a sheep was getting sick, what he would do, he would get together that olive oil and the sulfur and the spices, and he'd bring it together, but the sheep would have to get over close enough to him, and he would then take that oil and put it on the head of the sheep. The very thing that was destroying the sheep, the shepherd wanted to get the oil to anoint the head of that sheep and allow the healing salve. As I thought about that, if you're hurting, why run from him? Because when you run to him, he wants to anoint your head with oil and let your cup run over. Where the emptiness is, he wants to fill that with the oil of his presence. Possibly the very thing that is stealing and challenging you, he wants you to get close enough to him that he can anoint you and allow his presence to go with you. Verse 6, surely, and look at these terms, goodness and mercy. You would think of all the things I've told you about David, it would be surely shame and disappointment are going to follow me all the days of my life. No. Surely, surely, he's thinking about his son. He's thinking about the child he lost. He's thinking about Bathsheba, Uriah, his dad, his brothers. I don't deserve any of this, but he said, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This may come off as a bit arrogant when you first read it, but, but what if it's an epitaph over David's life and it's an epitaph over our life? What if it's David just proclaiming, throw at me what you want. Bring the challenges on. Physical, financial, mental, marital, divorce, raising Small children without an instruction manual. 
threat of cancer, bring it on. Just go ahead, bring it on. But I know one thing, my confidence is in Christ and Christ alone, that goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. See, some of you today are allowing somebody else to dictate who you are when God, your shepherd, wants to bring such a healing and an anointing over your life that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, that the very thing that you think is staggering you from becoming what you shouldn't be, he wants to turn it around and to make it into something that you can rejoice over because he gets the credit for it. Goodness and mercy will follow me. It's going to pursue me. The Hebrew word is radap. It's predominantly hostile in its sense. But David said, this is the God that I serve. He's going to run after me. He is going to come after me. He is not going to let me go. Even in times of feasting, he will be there. But in times of lack, he'll still be there. Unresolved sin. Unresolved challenges. Things from childhood. Things from your college days. Maybe your early marital life. Don't let those things keep telling you what you won't be. But allow there to be goodness and mercy start pursuing you and God restoring you. And then he stops by this and he says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember at the beginning he's talking about God, the he, me, he, me, and all of a sudden it goes to he talks to God. Oh, I love this about David. He said, I'm one happy and contented sheep. And I know this, I'm going to dwell because of imitation from the shepherd. Undeserving? Oh, yeah, I don't deserve it. But invited? Yes. Temporary? No. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I encourage you today, make a resolve about your life. Make a resolve about your past. And here in a moment, we're going to let you have a chance to take care of that if you haven't. But make a resolve that no matter where you've been, what you've done, I have a shepherd and I don't have to want. He's going to make me lie down. He's going to let me drink. He's going to put a table right in front of me in the presence of my enemies. My my cup is going to run over. He's going to anoint my head. David can make this declaration of Psalm 23 after Bathsheba episode, adultery. After personal wounds of losing an illegitimate child, result of an adulterous relationship. After the sting of murder for hire of Uriah, a good man. After his own men, after they defeated the Amalekites, is ready to kill him. If anybody knew what it was to restore broken things, David did. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know what your life may look like. I don't know your epitaph. I don't know what has been prior to. I don't know what has been the setup to get you to this day. But the Lord is your shepherd. We're going to close this today by, on the screen, they're going to put the 23rd Psalm. And every time you see the word I or my or me, I want you to emphasize it. We're going to read it out loud. We're going to declare it out loud. It's not an incantation. It's a declaration. And I'm asking you this week, here's your takeaway. For the next seven days, every day, when you come up against something that's challenging, something that's trying, something that is dark, something that maybe I don't have an answer, just start declaring, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the... You may not get all the words right, but make that declaration of whatever part of this psalm that you need. David did it, you can do it. You ready? I want you to do it like this. I'll show you first. The Lord is my, say it strong, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's read it together. Here we go. The Lord is I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.